Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talking on a Wednesday afternoon, Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, and David Campbell, sports manager from Cleveland.com. Terry, uh, you were out in Berea today for the Andrew Berry press conference, and I we haven't really talked about it too much, but I, I wanted to get your immediate thoughts on it. I'll tell you what my <laughs> what kind of hit me. They asked, uh, I forget whose question it was, but they asked Andrew Berry, the Browns general manager, what are your expectations for the rest of the season? And he said something about we want to maximize the team's potential every week and yes. get the rest out of the way, get the rest, the best out of the team, maximize the team's potential. And it's, I get that the Browns are a very even keel organization, but my first thought was when Mike Ditka took over the Bears, when George Hallis hired him in the 1980s, in the early 1980s, Mike Ditka came in and said to the team, he had all the players there, he goes, I got some good news and some bad news. He says, the good news is we're going to the Super Bowl, and the bad news is half of you won't be around when we make it. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. And today, like, the Browns are here to win football games, and I'm just envisioning fans at the games like, let's go Browns, maximize your potential. Like, it was a weird answer to the question, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised because it's Andrew Barry and and everything is very even-keeled and analytic, analytical. Yeah, and their, their thought. But, and Kevin Stefanski answers questions the same way, David. It's almost like you're not going to pin whatever this is on me. And so I think like if you said we won't expect to make the playoffs, then when they don't make the playoffs, then they're saying, well, did you consider the year a failure? Do you want to fire everybody? Um, the problem, too, with that answer that Andrew gave, and by the way, I'm a, I'm a Andrew Berry fan for the most part. I am, it too. Was, yeah. It was too ethereal. I use that word intentionally because it's another one of those words go, huh? In other words, it was just too vague. We want to maximize potential. It's just like people, you know, the new comment now is, I want so I want Dave Campbell to be the best version of himself, whatever that means. Um, really, what I would have said is, I want the defense to play better, I want the special teams to play better, and I want the offense to continue to grow. That's how I would have answered that one. Yeah, or even just we're here to win football games. And we, we're, and, we're going and, for the we're three and five. And if but we, we're going for the right. playoffs, and if we don't make it, we're going to try and fix it for next year. Yeah, and and babe, then I would say, and if we do that, then we're going to be in really good shape. You know, come November, December, and January, because he said that's when you know a lot of this stuff is decided. So it was it was an odd answer, but not surprising because it's just how they look at it. I mean, the the Bengals game. At least uh, we had this cool uh, cartoon. I think Ted Ted Calquell did it, where uh, the Bengal tiger was sitting on like a tombstone, and there was a little hand coming up. It was a, the Browns hand saying, "We're not quite dead yet." That's exactly. And he did that right before the uh, Bengal game. Right. But that's exactly where they are. They're not quite dead yet, 
And the Bengals, you know, maybe aren't as as alive as they thought. And you really want the team to probably if I'm trying to think of how I would advance, I want the team to look like what I thought it would be. I want that defense to be a lot better. I want special teams to be a lot better. And I want it, I, and I say continue to grow offensively because one of the questions I asked Barry is if you knew you were going to have a team that ranked seventh in scoring uh, and was averaging 25 points a game, and they've only had one game under 20 points, where do you think you would be? You know, he didn't want to answer. I think you said, would you have signed up for that or something? Yeah, right? yeah well, it? he gave a, he yeah. gave no one of his vague answers. And then he, then I asked him, would you have signed up for that? And he said, of course. That's because he would be, no, a minimum of five and three with that and I know he does right now they're trying to keep the heat off of Joe Woods um, so it was it was an odd it was a bit of an odd answer I I don't know if they're a playoff team or not because I don't know if the defense can continue to uh, not necessarily hold a team to 13 points or whatever but just continue to play at this uh, decent you know just an average defense they're five and three Andrew Barry was asked about Kevin Stefanski and, and how he thinks Kevin Stefanski's performed. And Andrew Barry's response was, you know, basically we believe in him as much as the day we signed him to be the coach yeah. here. And he's he went into his answer further and saying he's been through so much. Kevin Stefanski has gone through some things that no coach ever probably thought they would go through, that kind of stuff. And he's guided us through all this. And I just kept thinking, like, on a larger frame, the Browns have put their franchise through a lot of stuff yes. over the last several months that no franchise really goes through. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking, all right, Andrew Barry doesn't want to say they're chasing the playoffs. Kevin Stefanski's doing a good job, and he's guided them through a lot of times, tough times. Like, the organization is going through this crazy thing with the Deshaun Watson. I just got the sense, like, hey, let's maximize our potential, and then we'll come back at it, like, next year. And am I oversimplifying that? Or, I don't know, what was the vibe you got from what you heard today? Well, that was my question about Stefanski, and he talked about that. Then I doubled down on the play calling thing, and he doubled down on Stefanski's able to do that. Um, I still think when you're working for Jimmy Haslam and say their record's 3-5 and five, and they end up 6-11 and 11 with Deshaun Watson, Andrew Berry can say whatever he wants. You know, stuff's going to happen. And so I think a lot of this really does rest on how the offense looks with Watson. And I would argue, of course, in terms of winning games, you know, what does the defense do? Uh, um, So I know this. They are internally, they are concerned about special teams and defense. They can say whatever they want up there. They're concerned about that part of it. And they know you can't be a playoff team with the type of defense and special teams they've had. I asked him about the couple of the block field goals, and um, he said something about that it could have been launched high or blocking. I, I didn't expect a very good answer, but I figured I'd ask anyway. Uh, but I, I was interested to see how strong he was on Stefanski. But to your point, David, um, they put the coach in the position where he had to go out there and not answer these Deshaun questions day after day after day, month after month after month, because of the, the way that move was made. And then we're going to be asking him a lot of, is he rusty, all this kind of stuff. This is unprecedented. It just is. I can't think of another thing in the NFL. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get people, well, yes, 
the Dallas Cowboys waited for two years for Roger Staubach to get out of the Naval Academy. But that's not exactly, you're waiting for a guy because he has a bunch of civil suits that need to be settled, and the league has to rule on it. That was just, a, it's like David uh, Robinson, too. Those were you know, military duties that you made. But the rest of us is waiting for these guys. I find it hard to evaluate the whole thing, but I could, I can pinpoint, and you can too, the defense has been massively underachieving, and special teams continue to be a problem. They do, and maybe mulligan isn't the right word, Terry, yeah. but like the expectations of this team since the Haslam's bought it was we're going to we're going to put together the best roster we can, and we're going to try and win a Super Bowl. And I don't think those are the expectations this year. No, like, they're not. And I don't think they were at the start of the season. I think the Browns are take, playing a long game here, and it's like, all right, we're going to take our hits this season. We're going to do the best we can. And next year, the expectations are back where they were before. And I don't know. That's just my take on it. And I'm, well, I'm, I'm oh, probably definitely... putting words in their mouths. But um, that's well, they just won't. The they would never say. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. They would never say that, David. But you're on to it. I mean, the moment you made the deal for Watson, uh, you were saying that um, we're really, it's a long-term move, and it only won't be until 23 that you see how this pays off. Um, Because, like, Jacoby Brissett, actually, if you had to pick between Matt Ryan, who was my choice if you weren't going to have Baker, or Baker Mayfield, or Jacoby Brissett, it's not even close who you would prefer. Jacoby Brissett makes some mistakes at the end of games, but he's ranked like 10th or 12th in quarterback thing, and they're 7th. You know, the bottom line is how many points do you score in a game? How many points do you give up? They're scoring 25, and they're giving up like 28 or 27. And the reason they are 3-5 and five is not because they, they score more points, but because they give up too many. And they leave points out there sometimes with field goals that are missed or blocked, uh, or just general special teams, you know, they're not flipping the field. I mean, it's fascinating. You have a great punter, but it seems like other teams return the punts pretty well. And I think Cade York, you know, I'm the big kicker guy in our office, and I do think Cade York is the first guy since Phil Dawson and I have any confidence in. He just has to grow. And they do have to block better. I looked at the first one or the one that was blocked, uh, not the 60-yarder, but this last one, um, it looked to me like that was not blocked very well up front. Well, I think it was. There's been a couple times this season on the blocks where, one, I think Cade York would have liked to have gotten more elevation on the kick, and I do think the blocking has been suspect. It's been a combination. I think if Cade York elevates one or both of those, I think he wouldn't mind having both of those back. But you're right, the blocking – it seems like that A-gap between the center and the guards is where guys are coming. i got to go back and look at it, but that seems to be where teams are targeting and trying to get an, a hand up. If you're asking the guy to kick between 52 and 60 yards, he can't elevate it as much as you want. He simply can't. You need to get more oomph into it. That's part of the reason. Why don't they try 60-yard field, 63-yard field goals or something unless they're desperate? They have guys with strong enough legs to kick them that far. But they're they're not able to kick them high and as quickly and far enough. So if you're going to do that, you're going to tempt them. You're really going to have to have excellent blocking up front. Uh, but overall, I think 
the Browns are blessed to play their best game of the year against the Bengals before the bye week because it changed the tenor of things. It kept it alive. Can you imagine if they lost this and it's two and six? We probably would yeah. have been talking about guys traded. I don't care what he says. We would have been talking possibly about Kareem Hunt and maybe even Clowney traded if you're two and six. Well, you want, let's get into the Bengals game, Terry. So Monday night, the Browns, their season is kind of on the line. National TV, it's Halloween. Guys are wearing costumes, coming to the game. It's a big night. People have circled this on their calendar. Got players on the team. It was a it was a big game. And the Browns basically, and you wrote this right after the game, this is what the Browns thought yeah. they were going to look like from day one. What did that game mean in terms of the rest of the season, and, and what impressed you most about what they did on Monday night? Maybe I'm an old grouch, but if you wear costumes to the game, you better play well. Real simple. Or if you wear costumes to the game and you're five and two, fine. That's that's the way you want to do it. So they played well, and Garrett led the way with that. So that was great. That actually was was kind of good. Um, I did a long interview with Andrew Barry before the start of the season, and he laid out that they would have to play a little differently this year. You know, run the ball, kind of more conservative football, good special teams, good defense, and run the ball. Don't turn it over. Well, that's what they did. The defense finally showed up. I did ask Andrew Barry about the lack of big guys up front. And he sort of said you go with either speed or girth, and uh, he still thinks speed is the way to go. On defense. Yes, on defense. And... It worked against the Bengals, maybe because they finally unleashed some of that speed. Well, and the thing that I was interested in, Terry, it's kind of like it was just all this pent-up anger and frustration. I mean, you've written about how often Kevin Stefanski uses the word frustrated and frustration. Mm -hmm. It was like they just – it was all balled up. And Kevin Stefanski is like, all right, you want us to run the ball more? Here's, Here's running the ball more. Yeah, and what they they were loading up that jumbo package with uh, two offensive linemen coming in. Uh, Hudson was one of them, and they were pulling him and trapping guys on the end. I, I just think it was just kind of like we're going to go jumbo and we're just going to run the ball and run the ball, and this is this is how we're going to play tonight. Stop it if you can. And I think I think the Browns fans loved that. I think that was that was kind of what they've been waiting to see, right? That's what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get I said that after the defense of the offense averaging 25 points a game, but still there were more points to be had, not just because Jacoby sometimes falls short in the late in the fourth quarter, but because they don't accent their strength, even though they were, I think, third or fourth in rushing attempts, they and uh, Derrick Henry's team should be one and two. They really should. You've got two great, you know, the Browns have two great runners, well, one great runner, one good runner. Derrick Henry's a great runner. And you so you should do that. And do you really want Ryan Tannehill or Jacoby Brissett to try to carry the team? No, you don't. And by the way, what I had I was talking with an NFL person, and he said that offenses are changing again from this whole reliant on the pass. They're seeing all these soft defenses, cover three, cover twelve, you know, all those kind of zone things. And saying, well, fine, they want to give us four yards of carry. Let's take it. And we'll just keep them out there for a, a, a whole month on defense if that's what they want to do. And that's what the Browns fans have wanted. Because I'll tell you, 
when you cut past the anger of the Browns fans, you know, the desire to fire everybody or change quarterbacks and actually get them understanding, you know, talking real football, you know, after five minutes of venting, they often know what they're talking about. They really do. And I'm not saying that to suck up to the fans. They I may mean, I read the emails all the time. Then you get down to, you know, why aren't we running the ball? You don't have to give the Nick Chubb. I get, well, they ought to get 30 carries at Nick Chubb. No, you don't have to do that. Not when you have Kareem Hunt. Actually, Dearness Johnson's a pretty decent runner. He really is. He only got 100 yards the two games he started last year. You could run it. They ran it 44 times without wearing anybody out. That, by the way, was their most times that they ran the ball this season. 44 times, 172 yards. Um, and, and 32 and, and we... points. Remember, what's the, point, what's the point is to win the game, score points. And all of a sudden, the field's wide open for Jacoby to throw some passes. I mean, nobody's covering anybody. They don't know what to do with the Browns running it. <laughs> I love the Wildcat thing. If you're, you need a yard and a half, put Nick Chubb back there with every offensive lineman and somebody else, or even Nick Chubb, and I would have been interested to put Nick Chubb and, and Kareem both back there. Oh, yeah, good luck, stopping that. good yeah. luck stopping that. Actually, for those who have been asking for Hunt and Chubb to be in the backfield at the same time, I think I counted two plays the other night where they were both in. I think one was with 635 left in the second mm-hmm. quarter, and one was about 540 in the second quarter. and then that, So that was the two plays. But I think if Browns fans are waiting for that to become a staple of the offense, no. I don't know that we're ever going to see it. But well, it, I counted nine plays. until then. I remember we edited one of my stories. I, I, I yeah. got him at nine. I wasn't positive. I went through the number of snaps and how it broke down. The only time I saw it actually where um, they used them both, there was a, a play early in the season, Chubbs in the backfield, and I believe they put Hunt in the slot. Is this right in the red zone? They faked it to Chubb, and they threw it to Hunt wide open in the end zone. Duh. <laughs> That's just... All right, Terry, so the, the I guess the million-dollar question is, will this team make the playoffs? They're three and five? Yeah, because it's like you watch Cincinnati, you just see all the flaws, and their whole defense is all racked up now, especially their secondary. Am I correct on that, mm-hmm. David? And Pittsburgh's turning into one of the bad Browns teams. I mean, they're just like going for draft picks or something. So the question really is, are the Kinder Browns beat Baltimore? I'll throw it to you. Well, I think they can. And you know how it is, Terry. Every week it depends on health and who's available and who's not. So, I mean, that's all up in the air. But I think the Browns can beat – the Browns have shown they can beat the Ravens. Yeah. And the thing that is going against them, I believe the Browns have the th- – yeah, it's the third toughest remaining schedule. It looks like mm-hmm. Patriots, Patriots, Bengals, Browns, Seahawks, and Titans are the five toughest remaining schedules. Uh, so, you know, the Bengals are without Jamar Chase for a month. Uh, yeah. It's going to make it a challenge for them on offense. But that is kind of it's, – it's not going to be easy, and, and everybody – pointed to those first four games that they needed to get off to a fast start, and they didn't. So now they're going to have to make make it up against some pretty tough teams, including Buffalo and, like you said, Baltimore. So yeah, I mean, they, Obviously, they need, they need to uh, just keep winning in division. So they got three division games left. I think they probably got to win all three uh, to win the AFC North, given the other uh, teams that they do play. You know, Miami's better than I thought uh, this season, and – you know, two has come back strong from the concussion. And then you go to Buffalo. My goodness. 
Everybody knew, by one. the way, that that Wyoming is going to be the cradle of the neck, the producer of the next great quarterback. <laughs> you are the world's biggest Wyoming Cowboys fan. I am sure outside of, outside of, outside of the so state well. of Wyoming. I don't have my, usually I have my Wyoming hat on here, but um, yeah, that all goes back to, by the way, one I like the state of Wyoming, but two when. Uh, Larry Shiat was the basketball coach there with Larry Nance Jr., two Cleveland guys uh, there. So I be, I really adopted them. And then I got kind of interested in the football program because they hired more information than he wants. Craig Ball, who was, by the way, at um, he was the guy that recruited Carson Wentz back to North Dakota State. So they when they Wyoming needed a coach, they went out and got him. And they've been okay with him. And, and he found um, Allen just – hanging around in some in rural California somewhere. So it, it I is. Remember, a, I remember reading yeah. about Josh Allen when he was going to his senior year and it, it was, I think it was ESPN or somebody wrote a story about this kid is the next great thing. You've mm-hmm. never heard of him. And here's why. And everything that was in that story is. He was on the true. cover of sports illustrated. Yeah. yeah. The, from Wyoming. And part of it too is see bull runs a, a, a pro style offense. So they're under center a lot. And that helps, you know, like Wentz was, Wentz has had some injuries that have been up and down, but he started fast. He was NFL ready when he came in the league, and so was Allen, because a lot of these guys are not. Um, I am going to be anxious to see what the Browns do with Watson in terms of what type of offense they run and how much different it is, because I do hope they don't go air Deshaun. Oh, there's there's no need for that, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think he's going to give them a little bit more mobility from the quarterback oh, position. Yeah. and maybe a little bit more accuracy, but yeah. Kobe Brissett has played well, as you said. I mean, he did not make, you could probably count the bad throws he had. There were maybe one or two the whole game on Monday night. I thought he played really well, made some great decisions, except for that one um, where he, he got sacked and, and gave the ball up. But I, I think he's really acquitted himself quite well. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break here. The, uh, the Browns are off on their bye week this weekend, and then they come back and they are at the Dolphins who you were just talking about on November 13th. That's a 1 p.m. kickoff on the 13th. So uh, you ready to take a break? And then we'll yes. come back and talk some Cavaliers. All right, we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. Terry Pluto and David Campbell. Terry, let's get into the Cavaliers. Uh, we've got we got some good Hey Terry questions coming too, and I want to talk about your faith column, but let's get into the Cavs. Five and one, an impressive start considering that Darius Garland has been out with that eye laceration that he suffered. Uh, tonight, big game against the Celtics, 730 down at the Fieldhouse. It's on ESPN. It, they're asking it to be a blackout. They want everybody to wear black, and the team's going to wear their black uniforms. Uh, overtime win over Boston on Friday. And you've been writing about just how with all this offensive firepower, J.B. Bickerstaff has really been harping on the defense, and it's really it's really paid off so far. Yeah, I like the fact, even after uh, the win the other night, he said, we only played one good quarter of defense. So he keeps throwing it back at him. It's an old coaching thing. You get what you stress. And so he's going to keep pounding away on that. And I really have been excited to see just how determined Donovan Mitchell's come in to do what like what is necessary to win he is a better distributor of the ball and I, this is a big revelation for me i did not realize karis lavert could pass as well as he did as he has this has been really good to see now offensively you know what's hot or cold with him 
Wait, what? We went to 41 points and like zero, I think, the next game almost. Yeah, Terry, let, let me just throw in his stats real quick. I mean, Karis mm-hmm. LeVert, I mean, the 14.7 points is about what I think the Cavs expected when they traded for him. But you're right, 6.7 assists this season. Yeah. Which, and 48.5% on three-pointers. Yeah, it's, which is really something too. So anyway, I didn't. I just wanted to drop those in there. But go no, ahead. and it's odd because it goes against the norm for him because he's not. A, he's a, the old thing is he's a scorer, but he's not particularly a good distant shooter. Um, but he's been making those, and you know Mitchell here will be the the challenge for them whenever Darius comes back. Mitchell almost has been doing the Garland's role where Garland had the ball a lot and also scoring, and he's he's stronger, more athletic than Garland. Now, because we haven't got a good look at those two guys playing together and how that's going to work out. So that'll probably take some adjustment because, um, and you know, Mitchell has a, his game as a strong personality. So I want to see how that works. I'm not doing gloom and doom here, but it's just something for fans to watch because they were able to fall into really the old style offense when Darius was hurt. Okay, one guard handles the ball all the time and sets up the other guys. The one thing they've missed is that the high lobs on the pick and roll with the high lobs of Jared Allen or Mobley. Um, it seems like uh, Donovan's had problems really getting that going or they're not running it as much. I don't really know. But I'll tell you what's a big deal, too, to me, is Kevin Love. You know, he's healthy again, shooting the ball well. He's engaged. Because when you were able to bring a veteran off, he's leading the league in charges taken again. I I give him credit on that. When you've had his injury history and you're taking all those charges, the older you get, the harder that floor is. And <laughs> boy, oh boy, you know, even if you're kind of, if you watch, he's sort of easing himself back as the guy gets near him. Nonetheless, it still hurts. So it's been exciting. Everything other than the only guy that's really struggled in my mind has been the guy they talked about is a Coro. He's had real, for all the work he did on his shot changing and everything else, and Chris Feeder wrote a fascinating story on that, he looks really messed up. But the other day they put him in, told him to defend, and he defended. Well, yeah, in the win over Boston on Friday, I think, uh, and, and, and J.B. Bickerstaff was talking about this, I think they gave up 41 points in the second quarter and then 39 points in the whole second half. Yep. Which just shows you when they decide to put the screws on people, they, they've got the, the players to do it. Um, mm-hmm. which, and that, and that even, was some even in that game, is it was 15-7 to 7 in overtime. He held the team to seven points for five minutes of overtime. So that was impressive to me. And Boston can score. So, Terry, I, I was going to ask I'll tell you. I, would just want, I just want to say this. You know, I love basketball. And I fell back in love with them last year when they went with the big lineup and decided to play differently. It's kind of like the Browns are running the ball. The Cavs want to play defense. How about that? You can win games doing this. And the and the Guardians say, we don't hit home runs. We hit singles. We run everything out, you know. And we win four gold gloves. So maybe Cleveland could be the counter to every all the other sports Counter to some of the analytics. Counter to the whole thing. We're going to play old, old-fashioned ball. The Department of Defense is based in Cleveland, right? The, it is. <laughs> and and, and running. It, by the way, maybe you know, maybe you don't win a title this way. I don't know. But it's like one of the things the Guardians, and going back to when Paul Dolan bought it, he never really wanted to go through these massive rebuilds where you're losing 100 games year after year. He just thinks it. 
and, and he's correct. What do you really accomplish there? And that was a, the the Cavs went through this, and they you know they were able to you know get a high draft pick with Mobley and a high draft pick with Garland, but it wasn't the number one pick. But what's putting what put them over the top, I really believe, was we made the trade for Jared Allen because that became the guy they were able to build this whole defensive mindset around. And they're just, you know, they, they play with, they play like the guardians or like they were a year ago. They play like they care about each other. They play hard. It's fun. And the fans here just go crazy when they see it. Yeah. And speaking of the defense Terry, you, you kind of have pointed out uh, Raul, Raul Nato. And mm-hmm. I thought you had a really interesting comparison for him, just the way he plays defense. It kind of reminded you of, of another Cavalier from recent past. Well, you know, uh, I'm Matthew, married to Matthew Delavadova. I'm married to one of the top scouts around because <laughs> Roberta was the one who saw Stephen Kwan, not in the spring of 22, but the spring of 21 when we're watching a preseason game. And I had, I knew who he was just because I had, I pay attention to the draft and that. And I remember when they took this kid who was a leadoff hitter from Oregon State won a title, but I'd never seen him in person. We saw a game where he, he had a bunt single and slapped a single and stole a base. And Roberto goes, I really like him. I think he's going to be good. And I'm like, okay. And I, I liked Owen Miller at the time, so she was right. And then the other day we're watching a game. Neto came in, and she goes, Roberta, Roberta played on the very first basketball team, women's basketball team in Hiram College. So huh. it's one of those that. things where I wish that uh, she had been around for Title IX because she's a better athlete than I am and would have had more opportunities. But um, she's watching. She goes, he reminds me of Deli. Look how he's just, he's a pest. He's, he's you know, botting up on guys and everything else. I'm like, you're right. And that fits in with what JB wants too. So I – I just I don't know how far the Cavs are going to go. I know this. I was talking to Mike Fertel today, uh, driving down the office, and Mike says these guys can win a lot of regular season games. He goes the playoffs are different. I don't know about you, David. To me, hearing Mike do those the color commentary in games, I mean, thank. It's not so much a knock on the others. I mean, this is a guy that's in our backyard that's a trained broadcaster who coached in the NBA forever. It's hard to find that combination. Yeah, he definitely brings a, a good perspective to the game. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so, Terry, speaking of winning games in the regular season, Chris Fedor, our colleague, has a, a story up today, really interesting, just about how the Cavs have just jumped in with both feet on this three-point barrage. Yeah. Uh, and, and Chris wrote this, but in, in the, through the first six games, the Cavs are first in three-point percentage, and they're Jeez. fourth in made three-pointers. Nearly 40% of their total points have come on three-pointers. And that only puts them behind Boston, Utah, and Indiana, which I thought was a really interesting stat. Is this a good thing? Uh, I know you're a basketball purist from back yeah. in the days before there were three-pointers. But uh, mm-hmm. what do you think of this approach? I don't want to lose the big men in this. I'm happy they're making them. But I also think it's important to throw the ball to Allen and Mobley more because it keeps them engaged. They draw fouls. One of the most underrated thing that they lose in analytics is when you throw the ball down to the low post. Uh, yeah, it may only end up being two points or whatever, but you're also drawing a foul on the on the opposition often, and that then you know creates free points later on. So uh, that's I I I would like to see that. But one of the things that's a lost art in basketball 
is throwing the ball to the post. Now, I mentioned how Garland was very good on the lobs to the big men, so hopefully that'll come back with them. But the really, only two guys kind of know how to throw the ball to the post on the team. One is Ricky Rubio, and the other is Kevin Love. And that has completely been lost. So I hope they don't go complete three-point crazy. But it's nice to know that um, you're making enough so that'll force the defense to have to come out more, and that will open up uh, lanes for the big men to roll the basket or just flat out put them at the low post and and throw it to them. So I'm just excited. We're really talking about a really good team, you could tell here, that we have different options with them. Uh, by the way, you see the, the the big lineup is still out there about 18, 20 minutes a game because Dean Wade uh, has taken that part. And I, I believe on our podcast we talked about the day that uh, when Donovan Mitchell came to town. And after the press conference, uh, Chris Fedor and I were talking to Sidney Lowe, the, one of the assistants, and I brought up I'm going to miss the big lineup. And this was before they signed Wade to the extension. He goes, well, you know, we really like Dean Wade. We could do some stuff with him with the big lineup, and we've seen it. And Wade is, is making himself into the classic stretch four, or kind of like Markin and not as athletic, but he could make that three-point shot. So that helps. And 6-9 to go with it. Mm-hmm. And, yep, and and he's bringing a, a, certainly a dimension that I don't think a lot of people expected when when they brought him in. But it looks like, uh, yeah, he's averaging 10.5 points a game. Terry shooting 65% from the field. Jeez. 3, 3.5 rebounds. By the way, Lori yeah. Markkinen's have a very nice year for Utah. That does not mean it's a bad trade or whatever, but uh, Markkinen, I think that coming to Cleveland was, is a career changer for Markkinen because he went through all these coaching changes and sort of craziness in Chicago. He came here. They, they rebuilt this game a little bit, you know, getting him to concentrate more on defense and that and just letting him play freer. And in Utah, it's, it's paying off for him. All right, so the Cavaliers tonight, as we mentioned, at Boston. Then they embark on a five-game road trip, Terry. And I think you're right. We're going to learn a lot about them on mm-hmm. this trip in terms of uh, chemistry and the rotation. They're Friday at Detroit, Sunday at the Lakers, Monday at the Clippers, Wednesday the 9th they're at Sacramento, and then Friday the 11th at Golden State. All right, on to the Guardians, Terry. Uh, the Guardians set a franchise record this week with four gold glove winners. Never been done before in team history. Stephen Kwan, Miles Straw. Andres Jimenez and Shane Bieber. And this ties into what you were talking about, about how proud they were of their defense. And it's good to see some of these guys uh, getting some recognition. Stephen Kwan and Miles Straw also won uh, fielding Bible awards last week, mm-hmm. which is kind of the analytics, uh, the Bible, and... the Bible of defense, right? For baseball. Yeah, that, and so. so in other words, gold glove tends to be more the eye test than that. Um, the uh, fielding Bible is the analytics. So, I test analytics matched up there. And by the way, Jimenez was second. I forgot who won the second baseman uh, fielding Bible award. So he was up there too. I don't know how they pick a golden glove for a pitcher. Beats me. I know one yeah, thing. Paul Shuey would never win a percentage or I don't know. It is kind of, it is know. part I test though for a pitcher because can yeah, you get to a ball, right? Yeah, I don't I don't really On know. I just remember one year per Paul Shuey who was a wonderful man. He, he made four errors out of 13, 13 fielding chances, so he was not going he to. He did not win that year. <laughs> no, in fact, it was always like they even got to the point when they bunted the ball, they told Shuey to get out of the way and let the other – I'm serious, let the first base or third baseman catcher because he would just get too excited and he like – you know, throw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball down the first base line or something. So 
We don't want Paul Shuey. He would not have won the Gold Glove. But Bieber's Bieber's terrific athlete. I mean, I could have voted for him. That's that's fine with me. But when you think about that, you know, your classic, your second baseman wins a Gold Glove. You got two outfielders, uh, center fielder, and it's also why Terry Francona said that uh, he's not in any rush to change Miles Straw out there. And Straw did hit 300 after September 1st. I mean, he ended up at 224, but he, he's got like more than a thousand big league at bats. He's, I think it's, it's a career 250 hitter. So, so let's talk about Miles Straw for a minute, Terry, because I know you've been getting some questions about him, mm-hmm. and, and you've been writing that they are going to stay patient with him, even though he batted uh, two. I think it was 221 with a 564 OPS yeah. this year. Uh, 22 doubles, no homers, three triples. He did steal 21 out of 22 bases, but you think that the defense that he brings to center field and just the the way he communicates with the guys on either side of him and the way they command that outfield will make the Guardians kind of ride with him for for a good part of next season, if not beyond, right? Is that how you feel about it? Yes, because their feeling is that um, that outfield, which used to have some of the worst outfield defense a few years ago, as you could tell, they probably had the best. And Oscar Gonzalez, I think, is at least average, if not better than that, in right field. Um, and Will Brennan, when he plays out there, my guy, uh, he is above average in the outfield. So, great. You, If you can't hit the ball out of the park, you know, make sure you're running down everything in sight and – making sure that these people can't take extra bases because the Stephen Kwan could really throw Straw can really throw Oscar can really throw. They have good outfield arms. You know, uh, Jimenez is just terrific at second base. I would argue that Ahmed Rosario went from below average to average to maybe slightly above at short. That was a thing that was, they challenged him to do. That'll be fun to see how they play that out. Now, he goes into his last year of arbitration before free agency. Um, I would sit down and, and talk about a couple-year extension with him and see what he's, what he's interested in doing. Because I don't think anybody's ever approached him with that. And sometimes you can get a guy, as you would say, a bargain contract, because for once, somebody wants him for more than one year. All right. Uh, Terry, any thoughts on the World Series? I want Houston to lose because not that they've ever cheated, but just in case once upon a time, they deserve. Yeah. When the Astros, think about this, David, when the Astros were cheating, this was like when they caught Albert Bell with a cork bat. They didn't need to cheat. Bell didn't need a cork bat. You know, the Astros had done a great job of signing players and developing them and all that. And here they are banging on garbage can lids trying to, you know, just stop. So dumb. People who, <laughs> you know, knucklehead cheating. It's just ridiculous. It's a friend, you'll like this. A friend of mine was a was a uh, assistant coach at UNLV during the Tarkanian years. And he was talking about, uh, just to defend the other school, I won't mention it because I don't know. And he said, you know, we do a whole lot of knucklehead cheating around here, but those guys over there, now they not a really cheat. I mean, that's like, you know, bags of money all over the place, all kinds of stuff like that. We're just kind of comping guys at casinos and everything. <laughs> Small because we are, the, we are the kings of the knucklehead cheating, but we're not the experts like these other three schools. <laughs> I was like on the floor. <laughs> Uh, all right, Terry. Um, hey, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about your Faith in You column this week. And if you haven't caught Terry's Faith in You column, 
try and take a look. There's there's always something in there that you can take away. It's on cleveland.com on Saturday mornings and then in the Plain Dealer in print on Sundays. Terry, this week you're writing about a woman, and you call her Karen in your story. And you were talking to her, and one day she just came up to you and said, you know, I just don't feel well. And mm-hmm. you, you started to talk to her, and she kind of had been through a lot, and you kind of made the connection that sometimes not feeling well can be more than just catching a virus. There's a lot of other things that in our lives that can affect our physical well-being, even if they're not physical viruses or something like that, but but personal experiences. Why don't you talk about that? Well, because a lot of our stuff comes from the inside out, and and she was having some trouble breathing and some other things, and um, and I've talked to her on and off over the years. Uh, she she works at a store where I go a fair amount, and that's got to know her, and, and she's in her 70s, and she had been taking care of somebody who was older with dementia for quite a while. And during that process, and this happens with older people, as he became more disabled, she was lifting him, and she started falling down and getting knocked over in that. And then on top of it, just the dementia strain there. So, And then he passed away, and she has fallen down a couple times since then with things. I mean, here, there, and then now this breathing thing. And what I learned when I had a number of panic attacks so about four or five years ago, well, one part of it was I had way too much caffeine in my diet, which could, could cause your uh, uh, heart to race. But secondly, they would happen at weird times, not like when you're going through something. It would be a couple days later or afterwards, and that's your body still reacting to the stress that was under before. And one of the people I talked to who's studied a lot with uh, on panic attacks and grief and got these certifications, Bishop Joey Johnson from Akron House of the Lord, and he mentioned, too, that um, – he tells his friends who are going through stuff to be very careful with your walking and that as you get older when you've been through stress because it seems like we, lo- we we just lose attention and it comes out in different ways. So it was it was one of those. I think you'll find it. You know, we could get because we get stuck on things that we may think we're free of it, but a lot of the trauma we went through and it is trauma if you're taking care of somebody with a stroke or taking care of somebody who's been disabled, or if you yourself have gone through that, you know, if you live long enough, you're going to end up on these sort of long-term care situations with somebody or other. And, uh, it's a real toll. I know sometimes I, I tend to be right about older people's issues, but I'm older. I live at a lot of friends there. And I just know that I hear from people sometimes their 30s or 40s, or suddenly they're taking care of an older person in their family. Go, oh my goodness, I had no idea it was going to be like this. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting too, Terry. You, you write about. I mean, there's sometimes when we get into a fight or flight situation where there's a mm-hmm. moment of stress that really makes us tighten up and and affects us physically. But the I think you the woman was talking about she was kicking kicking the door, kicking the yeah, wall. Yeah, do- felt, yeah, qu- yeah, yeah, quick kick, wall. quick. Yeah, a friend of ours said quick kicking against those same bricks. In other words, going over the same stuff over and over again. I mean, now and then I get somebody was taking care of somebody. I was praying for them to 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 get healed or whatever and the person died and well maybe i just should have prayed harder no maybe the person just died i remember one time i talked to a, a priest i think it was father walt jenny um he was at saint basil in uh, brexville for a long time and now he's helping out at a parish in newberry uh, as he's as he says i'm retired but i'm still working but he said you know i know i remember i, I had a lady said to me one time, I slipped in the kitchen helping out and I broke my wrist. I think God was punishing me. And he said, you know, sometimes a broken wrist is just a broken wrist. And a slip is just a slip. You know, things do happen. 
there is an eternal significance to everything that goes on. And we can get ca- too caught up in that. And I would argue that's one of those spiritual, emotional battles. That takes you down a really dark place. You don't want to go there. All right. Well, check out that column this weekend. It's uh, really interesting to hear how people deal with some of the stress and how, especially longer term things where it's not one moment, but a, a, just steady, steady stress that is with yeah. you for a long time. So, all right. We've got some Hey Terry questions. You ready, Terry? Mm-hmm. This one is from Alan G. And he says, Hey, Terry. From the way too early to say file, do you think that Donovan Mitchell might end up being the best ever shooting guard to play for the Cavs? The team just has not had a lot of great shooting guards. The only ones that came to mind for me were Ron Harper and AC, Austin Carr. I don't believe any have been multi-year all-stars. I'm assuming Kyrie is or was a point guard. Uh, there you go, Terry. What do you think about that? Could Donovan Mitchell, from what you've seen, be go down as the best ever shooting guard? Does he have the, the talent to do that? Yes. How's that? Yes. All right. Uh, I believe Harper could have, uh, but he had that cataclysmic ACL knee injury right after he was traded to the Clippers. And he was a good player after that, but he wasn't the, because he loved Julius Irving. He had a lot of, sort. he was sort of a mini Julius Irving in that. Uh, I think so, because I'm going through in my mind, that was always the problem after Harper left, is finding another shooting guard. Um, Bobby Fills was very good. You know, he, he died in a car accident. And, uh, and by the way, Austin, Austin not only would have been really good, Austin would have been great, but he broke his foot his first year with the Cavaliers and then had many injuries after that. I'm old enough to have seen Austin play at Notre Dame. And I did a column uh, a number of years ago on Austin. I forgot what it was, some anniversary or something. I talked to Wayne Embry and a couple of the older people who saw him, and they said he was almost a lock to be a Hall of Famer as a shooting guard had he not started with the foot injuries. And, of course, that was in the early 70s when medical stuff was not uh, uh, anywhere near where it is now. All right. Very interesting. Thanks for that question, Alan. Uh, all right. Next one is from Paul Cosgrove from Stowe, a longtime friend of the podcast. He says, Dave and Terry, this is a little bit off the beaten path, Terry. See what you think. He says, sports gambling has exploded across the country and soon will be happening in Ohio. I was watching a game earlier in the season where a player was called for pass interference on a long pass that ultimately resulted in the penalized team losing the game. The replay didn't show any contact whatsoever. That play got me thinking about the possibility of sports betting corrupting referees. I started thinking about it again on the Sunday when the Browns were penalized on their tying field goal attempt. If the NFL In the NFL, it would be so easy for a rogue official to alter a game. Terry, are you aware of any league measure in place to track referee calls or to mitigate referees' opportunities to throw a game or affect the point differential? So they I'm will sure tell, you have thoughts on this, and then I have some too, so go ahead. They'll tell you they will, but I wonder. And he is absolutely, positively right. The easiest way to impact a game, I believe, um, it might be a little harder in football, but basketball, and I think the guys, Donahue was his name in the NBA, mm-hmm. and they found who knows how many games he was manipulating because you, you got point spreads going on there. So it, I have to admit all the stuff with all the gambling, and it's like you just, you're just getting it from one side to another, and, you know, I have strong feelings on that. Like people could do what they want, but – it is going to just create more options for 
players or but I like the idea. I mean, really, if I were sitting there how to fix a game, you know, you get two or three officials in an NFL game. Boy, can you do some stuff there? You can. You tell it, me. I'm, first of all, how many times a game are they holding? Many, many, and many that aren't <laughs> called. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, Terry. I, I years ago when betting was a lot more done in back rooms and and wasn't legal except in Las Vegas and maybe Atlantic City. I think the leagues really had to dig and work with the the bookies to make sure that none of this was happening. And I actually think that that the fact that it's becoming more prevalent is going to bring a lot of this out into the open more. And so, I mean, if you think about it, the leagues and the sports books do not want anything like this to no. happen, like Paul is suggesting. No. Because every time there's a bet made, they, they all make money. And no. so would you be willing to let something like that – they're going to be extra vigilant, I think, to make sure that something like this doesn't happen because this is like the golden goose mm-hmm. arriving for them. And I think they're going to put even more measures in place. I don't know what those are. It's an interesting thing to think about, but th- this is all going to be much more out in the open. And if something's starting to happen where somebody's betting on uh, if a bunch of money pours onto one team over another, I think they're going to they're going to know about it. That's and just if my you suspicion, look at but... a lot of the um, in college scandals, especially the basketball ones, which cause it's always easier to fix a basketball game because you get a couple players to do it. Um, they tend to be in the kind of upper mid major to mid majors, you know, like the Boston College one, Tulane with Hot Rod Williams that they really watched those lines and betting in Vegas to see that. And I know a couple of times they have alerted over the years. The reason is there's a guy named Joe Lupo who is from Stowe, who way back in the old days when the Stardust was kind of the king of the sports books, he was telling me about that. He says, you have no idea how once or twice a year we'll spot some very strange bets going on and generally in these mid-major college games. And we alert everybody we possibly can to that because that's one way to do it. And I would think with artificial intelligence now and all those different betting things, you could probably watch after a few months, you'll have a pattern how the bets go and you could probably watch all that. Uh, I just sort of hate talking about it, but the, the officials were, was, it was always something. And when I was covering the NBA, that was always the, you know, you just wonder about this guy or that guy, you get a guy who's an official and he's got problems in his family or whatnot. Um, they're vulnerable. Well, yeah, and that's another thing, Terry, about the – if you ever – geez, I can't believe how much MLB umpires make or how much NBA referees yeah. make. Like the more you pay those people, the less chance something like that. Yeah, that them, that so. is important. And and the yeah, idea – then they will tell you, too, with the players are making millions of dollars. And now they're hoping, too, with the uh, NIL deals in college, they'll take some of that off. But there's right. always there's always a feeling on it. Well, thanks for that question, Paul. I didn't mean to, uh, to have us talk betting for several minutes there, but it was, it's an interesting discussion, so thank you for that question. All right, last one, Terry, is from Andrew R. Getz. He's a professor of geography and the environment at the University of Denver, and he writes in with a Guardians question. He says, hey, Terry, now that the Guardians season is over, what personnel moves should Chris Antonetti be thinking about to improve the roster? What are the most glaring deficiencies in your mind, and what options are there to address them? So I would it's like a long to see hot him get, stove season, but go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to see him get a right hand. I have to look at some names that are available. Right-handed bat, it could play some first base and DH because uh, the last numbers I saw on Josh Naylor, uh, 172 against lefties. And if you saw in the playoffs, anytime he came to the bat uh, in middle of the late innings, here came a left-handed reliever because he just has trouble with that. Um, so, and also 
because of Josh's lake condition, how much do you want him in the field or what, what do you want to do there? So that would be a big thing uh, that would just help a veteran bat, uh, preferably right-handed, uh, to, to be able to platoon with him. Uh, they, they always are shopping for relievers. They always are looking for, you know, some other guy to uh, come in. Every, there's no team in baseball that says we have enough starting pitching. But I think the uh, Guardians are going to have to do that from internally. The most expensive quantity, by the way, when they break it all down to get is starting pitching on the free agency. Uh, those guys make huge amounts of money, or the trades are extremely expensive in that regard. Um, now they do have, you know, some guys like Plezak, for example. I think they'll they'll probably try to move him, and you know he might get them something in the trade market. He's, you know, Plezak's been a disappointment. I mean, not just because he broke his thumb taking his shirt off and broke a finger punching the mound, but he really hasn't developed a good third pitch to go with this. Uh, fastball and slider and maybe it has to do with the fact he breaks his finger you know taking his shirt off whacking it on a chair i don't know how coachable he is so that would be a guy that they could move savali i mean i'm concerned about them because i think they have three starters and that's it now we'll see what gavin williams can do coming up from the minors uh daniel espino they got to get him healthy he's had some knee problems and some other things um so I'm well. We should actually do coming up one of these podcasts. Uh, I'm going to do some homework on the the farm system, and and look at that stuff and and there. But I, I mean, number one, be a right-handed bat. And we'll get some. We'll look at some of the free agents out there yeah. too that might uh, that might fit their budget. So we'll do that then tomorrow. Thanks for that question. And uh, if you want to send us a Hey Terry question, you can hit us at sports at cleveland.com and just put Hey Terry in the subject line. Or if you want to reach Terry on his Facebook page, that's another way to do it. But the email address again, sports at cleveland.com and put Hey Terry in the subject line. So, all right, Terry, you have an appearance actually tonight, Wednesday, tonight. November 2nd at the Worcester library. Why don't you talk about that? Yes. Worcester library me. tonight at six 30 and uh, it's free. That's Worcester library downtown. I will, uh, Give a little talk, take some questions, talk to fans, sign books, preferably a book that I wrote, or if not, at least make it be a book that I remember one time it was a, a real nondescript book, and I'm like, why am I signing this? I mean, I, you know, or like bring like John Grisham or somebody like that has made a lot of money <laughs> at least. So we have a good time at those, and and I love it because it's casual, it's free. Usually we're done within an hour. And so come on down if you're around Worcester, Wayne County. There I am. And then uh, I think the next one I'll have the date, but we'll be at the Wycliffe Library November 17th. So I'll have more information for that one after this. All right. Sounds good. Have a great time out there. And we always uh, always get some good questions that you bring back for the podcast from that, too, some Mm -hmm. things people are talking about. So we'll see if uh, we can address some of that next week. So, all right, Terry, that's going to do it. Enjoy the bye weekend. You got any big plans this weekend with the Browns being off? Um, no, we're going to go away for a, a little bit early next week. So nice. Have a great week, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking.